Well, apparently you were really listening to that song because uh, it's no small statement to say, when I hear the Lord, when I hear that voice of truth, I will follow. I will do what He asked me to do. I will go where He asked me to go. Uh, it takes courage to follow God. So let me ask you, and um, I'm feeling really serious today. That's probably out of character for me. Uh, but I, you know, I cannot think of a more serious subject than what we're talking about today, and that is following God. And so I want to ask you, uh, no show of hands, no verbal responses or anything, but just to answer inside your heart, do you follow God? Let me clarify. I'm not asking, are you moral? I'm not asking, are you consistent in the practice of religious rituals? I'm asking, do you follow God. You say, well, then you better tell me what it is and not just what it isn't. Well, we get a a glimpse of what it is by looking at the life of Jesus as we find him in the Gospels. As uh, Jesus himself said, I do what I see and hear the Father in heaven doing. So Jesus went into sick places with sick people. Jesus went to funerals where people had died and there was sorrow and grief. Jesus was acquainted with poverty and he knew and he he understood and he cared about the poor. Jesus also understood power. And so he spoke to people in power, trying to remind them all power really resides with God. And Jesus knew hypocrisy when he saw hypocrisy and he would call it for what it was and he would call for an end to it. It is dangerous to follow God. It is hard to follow God. And dare I say, following God is not for the passive. It's not for the squeamish. It's not for those who are challenge-averse, and it's not for prosperity-loving people. Oh, I know that there are promises from God that He will seek to bless you and provide for you and prosper you, and um, He can heal you and, and guide you. All those things are true. But what's also true is that occasionally, for the sake of His glory and His kingdom, He will choose not to do those things Because of how it draws attention of others to him. And so the person that follows God knows God in that kind of way and is willing for God to play out all of God's scenarios and all of God's purposes in us, no matter how that impacts us. Because he is more important and his purposes are greater than our own circumstances. So, to be a little more specific, following God takes courage, way more courage than you have, way more courage than I have. It takes a courage that He must bestow upon us, that He must give us, and that courage comes to us out of our relationship with Him. And it's a courage that 
will allow us to follow him into unknown circumstances and situations. It's a it's a courage that will enable us to stand against what seems to be the impossible. It's a courage that takes us into the future. So I'll ask you again. Do you follow God? We're talking specifically today about when our followership takes us into unknown situations and circumstances. Things that feel foreign to us. Outside of our comfort zone. You already have some scenarios coming to your mind. You already have some pictures that are beginning to play out that are true to your experience. Where is it tough to follow God? We have a case study that's going to help guide us through our conversation over these next few minutes. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you'll want a Bible through all of this series that we're going to be doing on courage. We're going to be looking today at Genesis chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 11. So I'm calling upon you to be ambidextrous and be able to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament in the same sitting. All right. So Genesis 12, Hebrews 11. And uh, if you're like me and sometimes you're forgetting where these things are, that table of contents at the front of your Bible will help you. So when I say Genesis 12, many of you will recognize that we're going to be talking about Abraham. And he is our case study for how you follow God into foreign circumstances. And in order for me to highlight for us what God called Abraham to, we need to take just a moment to see what God called Abraham from. All right? Can I give you some quick geography and some quick history? So uh, Abraham actually comes from uh, a day and a time, also a place where it's said that the cradle of civilization was actually birthed. And this area that is known as the cradle of civilization is also called the Fertile Crescent. And it begins just north of the Persian Gulf, and it proceeds north and west toward the Mediterranean Sea, and then it goes due south in the direction of Egypt. And it's called a crescent because there's a large expanse between its two ends. That's the Arabian Desert. And so it kind of curves around that. And uh, because of the rivers and the streams, uh, there was agricultural capabilities within that crescent. And so a lot of uh, early civilization developed in that area. And we're talking about that area that I've highlighted right there for you. Now, uh, what we are to understand from... Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, is that uh, Abraham and his family come from uh, a a major ancient city called Ur, uh, just north of the Persian Gulf. Now, um, Abraham's father, named Terah, had this sense that he was supposed to move. He was supposed to migrate from Ur of the Chaldees all the way over to Canaan. And we're a little more familiar with Canaan and Palestine and Israel and things like that. But you can see that's quite the journey that he's going to have to take uh, in this crescent motion. He doesn't go across the desert by any means. Now, what is uh, peculiar and somewhat unknown to us is why Terah takes Abraham, Abraham's wife, Sarah, their nephew Lot, and so on, 
and stops halfway at a place called Haran. But he does. And Terah actually settles there and never uh, makes it down into Canaan. And we don't know exactly. It's not described how long they're there. But uh, Terah lives a long time. He lives to over 200 years before he dies. And after he dies, Abraham begins to sense God calling him to leave all that his father has established in Haran and go on south down to Canaan. Now, again, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that are not there. We don't know when Abraham met God. We don't know how Abraham met God. We don't know uh, other circumstances that preceded his saying yes to this call of God on his life. But uh, we are to presume that a number of experiential, relational kinds of things happen between Abraham and God before Abraham wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'll leave all this. Because the fact of the matter is, when um, Abraham says yes to following God, leaving Haran and going down to Canaan, he's basically saying no to all of his family inheritance. If you back up into chapter 11, you'll read a little genealogy that precedes Abraham and uh, all of the clan, all of the family estate and assets and so on are passed down to the firstborn and then down to the next firstborn and then down to the next firstborn. So by the time it gets to Abraham, there's a lot of estate, if you will. There's a lot of assets. And as the firstborn, he is entrusted uh, with all of this legacy to be passed off to future generations. And he basically says no to all of that. And yes to God, to go where? He doesn't know. To go for what? He's not exactly sure. It's all shrouded in a little bit of vagueness. And let's begin to look at that. You've got your Bible open now to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll pick up with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he doesn't even show him ahead of time. And uh, leave all this stuff behind and follow me. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, who's his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now think about that for just a moment. 75 years old. And God says, I got a new thing planned for your life. I got a new thing that I'm calling you to and I'm inviting you into this experience. Friends, I'm suggesting to you it takes courage. To say yes to God when he begins to put new things in our life, particularly the older we get. Now, uh, the younger we get, we tend to welcome some of those new things. But sometimes not. Where are you with that? With the new stuff that God might want to do. So, Abraham had begun this journey years before. We don't know when. He leaves Ur. He lands in Haran. He's there for some undisclosed long period of time, and then he continues the journey down to Canaan. Now, um, the question comes up, 
Why would you follow God on this journey? Why would you do anything that God calls you to, that God stirs you about? Because what I want to highlight for us is that there is a very fine line between what we would call courage and what we would just call foolishness. It's a fine line. And on the outside, if you're looking at Abraham's circumstances, he's got this entire clan set up in Haran. All the family estate, all the assets to manage, a legacy that's going to be following him that he's got to hand off all this stuff to. He is the firstborn and he's the one that's responsible. Multi-generational stewardship and entrustment is happening here. And he's like saying, I'm going to leave all that and I'm going to follow God. And everyone else is like, well, who's God? Which God are you talking about? And you're going where? Well, I don't know. Well, you're going why? Well, I think God's up to something. So, do you understand that there is a fine line between what looks to be foolish or what looks to be actual courage? Now, I want to illustrate this with you uh, by way of a video clip. Some of you are aware that there's a movie that will be coming out September 30 called Courageous. It's an excellent film that I've been able to preview, and um, I hope when it comes out you'll want to go and and see it. Uh, But I want you to check out this clip and consider that fine line between foolishness and courage. So in first examination, when you're first thinking about what's happening here, you can go, that guy's crazy. It's a truck. Let it go. You've got insurance. It's foolish to risk your life for a vehicle. But then you find out the rest of the story. What's in the back seat, his treasure, his baby, is why he is willing to risk his life, why he's being courageous. And this is what I'm suggesting to you about our case study with Abraham. This wasn't just, you know, a young, wild hair, let's go do venture with God. This was a seasoned 75-year-old who understood all the responsibility and all the stewardship that was a part of his life that was taking a courageous step because of what was in the back seat of his heart, his treasure, the person of God. So again, a lot of that's not described between um, Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis 12. But you begin to see that unfold later in Abraham's relationship And we'll see testimony to that in a moment when we look at the New Testament passage. But the relationship with God, the experience of God, the knowledge of God is his treasure. Which leads me to ask us, is God your treasure? And you see, when you ask a question like that, particularly of religious people or people that tend to go to church and so on like that, we have this kind of ought to gear that just kicks in because we know he ought to be our treasure. We know that he ought to be that important to us. But, you know, just for a moment, just can, can you really be honest with yourself? Is he your treasure? Is he, is he the most important person you know? 
Is your relationship with Him the most important relationship you have? And I, I know it ought to be. But friends, it can't be and it won't be unless you're being relational with Him. Unless you're developing uh, a capacity to know Him and be known by Him in such a way that He becomes that kind of treasure to you. And when He becomes that kind of treasure to you, then you will risk what will look like to some to be foolishness. You will risk courageous movement in your life into foreign circumstances, into circumstances and situations that you don't understand, that you don't, that you don't get uh, all that it's about. Do you know and follow the promises of God? What's God promised? What's God calling you to? What's God say He's up to with you, through you, around you? You say, well, I mean, how do you... You ask those questions all the time around here. How do you get answers like that? You get answers to questions like that relationally. And out of that relationship, sometimes He'll speak to you through the Scriptures. Sometimes He'll speak to you through the lives around you in your share group. Sometimes He'll speak to you through your prayers. But He'll communicate a sense of what He's up to and invite you into that. Now, I, I could give you a dozen things that God's been up to with me and, and other things He's been up to with me in times past. Let me just say one thing He's up to, up to with me currently. Right now, God, this is crazy, you know, given I'm 55 years old and I've been following Him for 30-something years. But right now, God is calling me to want, to value, to embrace my life. They go, what? See, I have never wanted to be me. I grew up in a situation uh, where my dad checked out and uh, I had this sense of abandonment. I had this sense of, gosh, there must be something wrong and defective and broken with me. And so you grow up that way and you begin to think, you know, this guy over here, I really admire him. I want to be him. And then after a season of wanting to be him, you see this other guy over here and you go, gosh, I really admire that guy. He's really got it together. I'd really like to be him. And you basically spend 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 55 years of your life wanting to be somebody else that you admire, that you esteem, because you don't want to be you. And so I'm in a season right now where God is saying, here's my call to you. I want you to be you and like it. And unless that is somewhere close to some of your own experience, you can't appreciate how scary that is. Because you learn, you learn all kinds of coping skills through the years on how to present yourself and how to uh, make this image. And you look competent, you look adequate, and uh, everybody else thinks you have it together. Maybe somebody else even admires your life and goes, gosh, I wish I could be more like him. Not knowing that on the inside, you're this broken, busted, screwed up, not wanting to be yourself person. And God does a little intervention on you and says, hey, but I want you. Hey, I love you. Hey, I specialize in redeeming and transforming people like you. 
be with me and be yourself. That's a foreign circumstance for me. What's a foreign circumstance for you? What's outside of what you really want to do and outside of your comfort zone, outside of your experience? I want you to see also in our case study, as we pick it up with verse 6, that he not only followed God into foreign circumstances, into the unknown, but he followed God against what seemed to be the impossible. So pick it up in verse 6 with me. So Abram passed through. He goes on down to Canaan. Uh, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, you you just have to enter the scenario to appreciate what just took place. So he goes from Haran up in the north, and he goes south all the way through Canaan, and all the way on the other side of Canaan down to Shechem. So he's just done, you know, this quick windshield survey, if you will, of where he thinks God is leading him, and, and God speaks to him and says, this is it. This is where I'm going to cause you to dwell. This is where I'm going to cause you to be a great nation. Now, he just, he just passed through the land, okay? He just saw these great fortified cities all over Canaan. He just saw these notorious warrior-type people all over the land. Now, who is this guy? He is a nomadic, tent-dwelling guy with a wife and a nephew and, and a few servants and a few herds of some livestock. And God says, you, I'm going to give you this land. Now, if you fast forward on to the book of Joshua and you read all about the conquest, you know that it was not, I'm going to give you this land on a silver platter. Here. You're going to have to fight for it. We're going to talk in in the next couple of weeks. What's it mean to fight for something when God's up to that? But this was a huge challenge. I mean, this seemed impossible. This seems so impossible generations later when there are millions of descendants of Abraham that they were scared to do it and they chickened out on it. Okay? So you can imagine what it looked like the first time Abraham takes a look at it. It seems absolutely impossible. What's impossible in your life? What's God up to with your circumstances? Some of you look at your marriage and you go, impossible. Some of you look at your singleness and you go, impossible. Some of you look at your children and go, impossible. Some of you look at your childlessness and you go, impossible. Some of you look at your health, a diagnosis, the lack of a diagnosis, and you go, impossible. Some of you look at your career or lack of career or lack of employment or your finances and you go, impossible. Listen, God knows what's happening. God knows what's not happening. And if you are a lover of God and a follower of God, He's up to something. 
whereby he's going to be active in you, transformative within you, blessing through you. If you'll follow him into that foreign circumstance where you have to trust him. Do you follow God when all you have are some promises and you got no results? Who's Abraham? He's a 75-year-old guy without an heir, without a son, without even the first child. And God says to him, your descendants are going to be so numerous, it'll be like the sand on the shore. What? I don't even have numeral uno yet. Come again. And he won't for 25 more years. Can you, do you, will you follow him when all you got is the promises and you haven't got the results? And then, moving over to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, thousands and thousands of years later, Believers and followers of God looking back on the testimony, looking back on the case study of Abraham, make these comments. Look with me in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob Heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Now, I accent the word forward because following God is so often about the future. And here I'm speaking right into our cultural experience. Our cultural experience says everything is about me and now. And the Bible declares to us everything is not about you and it's about tomorrow. It's about the future. Everything is about God. He's that glorious. He's that great. He's that big. He's that awesome. Everything is about Him. And so how I relate to Him, how I follow Him, has everything to do with Him and has everything to do with His purposes and His plans that are in formulation today but coming to realization tomorrow or some future point. Abram was able to see Everything that's happening right now. I'm I'm living in a tent, Abraham would say. But I can see that there will be a day that God will be building his own cities with his people in this land. And ultimately, he saw the city that is built without hands. He saw heaven and the redemptive work that would happen through Jesus Christ. How's that proceeding into the future? You go, well, again, you're talking about kind of abstract, grandiose, big faith, Bible type people stuff. This is just me. I know. This is just me. I get that. 
But it's who he is and what he's like and what he's doing. And he invites us into that. And it takes courage to go there. Now, there's an axiom in baseball. If you're going to have any success, that you've got to keep your eye on the ball. Right? You're a batter. There's a guy that's very skilled throwing a ball very hard and fast in your direction. And your object is with that bat to hit that ball so that you can go around bases and score runs. None of the later stuff happens. You never get to base. You never score runs. You never win a game unless you hit the ball, unless you have your eye on the ball in order to hit the ball. What's keeping your eye on the ball with respect to faith? Friend, our eye on the ball is our eye on God. And that's part of what's foreign to us. Because our eye is on self almost all the time. Some that are pretty good parents will sometimes have their eye on the kid, right? And we get all caught up and all taken up with the kid. Sometimes uh, we get so career-oriented, the eye's on the career. Sometimes we get so materialistically oriented, the eye's on the, the stuff, But the eye is on something. And Abraham's example to us is that the eye must be on God. And it's all about Him. And I orient my life around Him. I don't fit Him into my life. i got a pretty busy schedule. i got a whole lot that I'm doing. Let me see if I can get God in here just a little bit. That's not what it's about. I orient my life totally around Him. His purposes, His plans, His activities... And a watching world says, that looks silly and stupid and foolish to me. But because he's become a treasure, it's not foolishness. But it does take courage. Abraham didn't know how everything was going to turn out. He just knew he was going to follow God. Abraham had reached a point in his life where he says, You know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I would rather risk doing life with God, and it turned out badly, than risk doing life without God, and it turned out in ways that look well to the world. Have you come to that kind of point? That He is of such value, that He is such treasure to you. I'm not even sure how things are going to turn out. I just know I don't want to do it without Him. I just know that more than anything, I want to do life with Him. That more than the promises, I want the promiser. I felt like God led me to marry Sherry. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. I felt like God led me to have children. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. I knew how... Uh, screwed up I was as a kid. I was kind of nervous about that. I felt like God led me to start this church. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. But you get to a point in your life, friends, where it just matters more that you're doing life with Him than it does how the circumstances are turning out. Will you choose to follow Him 
anyway. The last verse I would have had us read, Hebrews eleven thirteen says, Abraham, Abraham died without the promises of God having been fulfilled. And Abraham died believing God, even though the promises had yet to be filled. Now, we know the rest of the story. We know that God fulfilled every promise, but a lot of them happened generations and centuries after Abraham. So, what's your decision today? What will you do with what we've been talking about? The easiest thing in the world to do, friend, is to just kind of wait it out, and in just a few minutes, we'll have a closing to this service, and you'll be able to go on with your day. That's the easiest thing in the world. Here's where it's hard. Here's where it's challenging. Will I respond to God in ways that my entire life gets oriented around Him? And friends, you won't bet your life in that kind of way unless you've come to trust Him. And you won't come to trust Him unless you get to know Him. And you can't get to know Him unless you begin to engage Him relationally. And a lot of us are so busted relationally, we need a significant group of others around us that are all on the same journey and we are learning how to relate to God well together. So will you get to know God through the gift of Christ that has been given to us? Will you build, after you get to know Him, after you get to trust Him, will you build your life on Him, around Him? And will you be courageous, following Him into those unknown circumstances, up against what seems to be impossible scenarios, into the future, into all that He's up to? Let me pray for you. Very serious right now, friends. It's an unbelievably gracious gift that God has intersected with our life in this moment to intervene with the status quo and business as usual and to say, will you do it differently? It's an unbelievably serious moment for God to invite us the awesome, great, creator, majestic, almighty one, to say, come near to me. I want to know you. I want to embrace you. I want to transform you. I want to give you all that I dreamed at your birth to give you. Father, where we lack courage today, we just call on you. Would you bless us with a courage that's beyond ourselves? Father, will you guide us and help us into these unknown situations that seem impossible and often take a long time to deal with? God, God, God. There is no other like you. You are the treasure. And we pray that that truth will propel us to risk it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.